Welcome to Coop Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. Uh, this past week and this past weekend was Halloween, and uh, I went as Donald Trump. And I, I bought uh, some makeup and a, a wig, and I wore my suit. And what's funny is my landlord is a huge Trump fan, and his wife can't stand Trump. And I ran into her, and I thought she, she, she ran away from me. She was like, oh, my God, my husband's going to die if he saw you. So I didn't see him, which would have been good, but it was it was good a costume. People liked it. I didn't get hit. Everything was good. The election's next week. I can't wait for it to be over because I can't watch this stuff anymore. And that's about it. Anyway, we have a great show today. We uh, I'm up I'm up early, people. I'm up at seven fifteen LA time, uh, seven fifteen AM because my my guest is uh living out there in Mass. And uh, as I say, Mass like my cousins from uh, Grafton say, Mass. Uh, my guest is Gary Schreit. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing good, man. The uh, so, uh, digging your digging your intro monologue. Oh, that's good. I, saw, I was sitting there. So so funny. Now, did did you go out for Halloween, or what did you do for Halloween? No, no. I kept a light. I kept the light shut. No one even saw my house. <laughs> it's so funny. Like our my neighborhood in Burbank is a is a nice neighborhood, and you're around my age, so we remember trick or treating. Like trick or treating, this was like the day that you would score tons of candy. And I live in mostly there's all apartment buildings on, on, on my street, and yet no kids trick or treat. And I'm thinking it would have been paid dirt when I was a kid. Oh, absolutely. What I remember is uh, how long did you? Uh, uh, how when did you stop? Oh when my god! Stop. How old were you? Um, I think thirteen. I, I, I was old. I mean, I believe me. I, I believed in the Easter Bunny until I was like fourteen. I was like like this kid all about fantasy and just loving the unexpected so i, I think i, I think oh. i treated for a long time yeah i think i stopped once uh i think it was in junior high we were uh junior high football and uh we just went i think we we practiced on halloween and then we just took our we took our gym bags and we went all all to these houses and all the all the families were saying you're too old you ain't getting any candy. <laughs> we were in our football uniforms. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? The, the, the people. It's funny because back then you could turn you could turn away people. Now, as I said, I I bought candy and my girlfriend moved out here three years ago. And I said, "Listen," she goes, "We got to buy all this candy for Halloween." And I said, "Joanne," I said, "Here's the bottom line: no kids come by." She said, "Yeah, you're you're lying." I go, "No," because she lived in New Jersey and I grew up in New Jersey and kids <laughs> were out. We went out at New Jersey, and man, she sat there by the door like expecting something. And I said. I'm telling you, no kids are coming by, and not one. Did, yep. did any kids knock on your door? Uh, no, they they used to, and I, I, I mean, a, a few years ago. But I, I got a long driveway, so uh, they don't even see my house. They don't even see my house. Now you said you played football. Now I heard you were a really good basketball player when you were younger too. All right. Well, you must have heard it from me because no. <laughs> it, no, it, 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 it's, it's, it's on your Wikipedia. It says you were a really good basketball player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wrote that. No, no, uh, no, no. Just uh, yeah, you know, off tour, I, I enjoy playing hoop. Keeps me in shape for uh, for for touring. But uh, yeah, that, that's you know, I was too small to play. I was too small to play football. As, as you grew up, I mean, you you grew up and everyone was the same size. But then. Uh, um, then by high school, you know, you had the bigger kids playing uh, playing those sports. So I just I kept it to street ball. Now I still play, you know. Now when not football, I hoop. 
Okay, well, yeah, because football, it, it's, it's, yeah, that's a, that's a funny thing. It's like, at any age, you can play hoops. In football, you can't sit there and you, you don't see like 50 year old guys playing football on the street, you know, because <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, you, you don't see a pickup game. Exactly. Yeah. So now, now, when did you get interested in music and then who were some of your influences? Yeah, you know, um, early music was always around in the house. And, uh, you know, at the time, uh, East Coast, Massachusetts, WRKO, you know, you get exposed to everything. You know, I, I came of age late, late 60s, so I heard the Beatles and, and, and that stuff. But it was more pop radio. And then I think I was 10 or 11, uh, junior high school, it was Alice Cooper. I discovered Alice Cooper, and that was uh, then. Uh, then the downward spiral began. It was just rock and roll from then on. You know, then then it's discovering Aerosmith and Queen and all those bands. The Who, uh, but it, Alice Cooper was my first kind of rock and roll record. Before that, it was you know pop radio and everything from singer songwriter stuff. Uh, but music was a, you know music was always around. Even Sinatra was around. You know. Uh, my mother was a big Neil Diamond fan, but uh, I, I charted my own course with with Alice. And I, the great thing is, I got to tell him that. What I met what, him over the years? What you made know. you gravitate towards Alice Cooper? What was it about him? His showmanship? Because I saw him open for uh, Motley Crue at the Hollywood Bowl two years ago, and he was amazing in concert. Was that? Was it the sound, or what made you gravitate towards him and make him? As you said, you got to tell him later in your life. It made a big difference in your life. What gravitated you towards him? <coughs> yeah, you know, I guess it was speaking, uh, you know, you, you don't realize it at the time, but, you know, you can, in hindsight, you go, he was speaking to our generation. School's out. I'm 18. I, I mean, I was 11 and 12 years old, I remember, on the jukebox listening to, you know, I'm using these words that, People don't even know what a jukebox is anymore. <laughs> right. my age here. Uh, How old are you? And, uh, uh, 55. I, I just turned yeah. 53 uh, two days ago. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, we're the same generation. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, with school's out, he's, he's singing he's singing to me. You know, I was that kid. I didn't, you know, I wanted I wanted summer to begin. And uh, and I guess it was his... his uh, for me, you know, little did I know I'd become a singer, and uh, you know, back then, it, I guess it was his performance, it was his uh, his, uh, his outrageousness. You know, I mean, he's, he's chopping baby heads off, he's hanging himself, he's a guillotine, all that stuff. It was uh, that to me. It's that to me. It's, it was a. It, it attracted me. Uh, you know. I don't know what that's saying about my psyche. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah, that was it was outrageous, and uh, of course it, it was my introduction uh, to rock, to rock and roll. Of course, I knew, you know, through through my parents, you know, Elvis and Sinatra and that stuff. But here's here's a guy with long hair, and you know, I'm like you could identify with what he was saying. So, so you, so you see him. He changed his life. Now, what course of action do you sit there? How do you know you you can sing? Because you know, basically, you've been in some big bands, and you know that takes a certain charisma and a certain voice, as we call it. I used to stand up comedy. We call it chops. When did you find out you had the chops to sing and to lead a band? Because you're going into battle. You're going to in front of a, a crowd. 
when did you sit there and start developing your singing voice and how did you find that voice? Yeah, sure. It's, it's funny. I, you know, we just got off tour and you have those, you have those battles. I mean, you've done it, you know, at this, at this point you've done it a million times, but you go in, you, before you go on stage, you, you're fighting your demons. Uh, you're tired. You don't think you can do it. Who you're fooling? All that, all those demons are in your head, but then you go out there and, uh, you know, you, you instinctually do it. How that how that evolves, I think with, uh, you know, I could compare it to people who wanted, you know, the people who discovered Eddie Van Halen and they knew they wanted to play guitar. They emulate their, they emulate their heroes, a drummer who discovers Bonham, you know. Uh, for me, it was the singers. I was attracted to the, the Tylers and the Mercuries and the Daltries, the Jaggers, and there was something inside me that, said, you know what, I, you know, I couldn't do it at the time, but it was, as a kid, you go, I can do that, I can imitate that, uh, that, that to me is not far-fetched, and I, I would say that that's what, that's what that young guitar player does when they, when, when they discover, you know, Eddie, um, they're not, they're not at their, they're not at that level yet, but for some reason, they think they can do it, that was me. Um, and you know, young garage band coming out of high school, you know, doing covers, Aerosmith, you know, I was, I didn't have a book. I didn't, I didn't, I haven't, uh, you know, I didn't develop my own, my own voice yet, what I wanted to say yet. So I was, uh, I was emulating, emulating my hero. So I was trying to sound like Tyler or whoever, because that's what people do, whether it's a guitar, vocal, or drums. You're you're imitating your heroes. Later, later when you start writing music, you start writing your own songs. You're out there performing. Um, you start evolving and start um, developing who you become. You know. So you sit there, you, 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 you find your voice. Now, how do you put the band together? I mean, was Extreme your first band, or did you have a few bands before you did it? Because I always talk to musicians who, you know, who are our age, that it's not like now, like you can put an ad on Craigslist. You know, they always say they they had to put an ad on some, like, guitar player or some whatever, the local paper. How did you put, what was your first band? Was Extreme your first band, or how did you end up forming Extreme? How did that, where did that come from? Yeah, you know, the, no, Extreme wasn't my first band. Talking out of high school, you know, you meet a, you you meet a kid who who's you know back then it's not like today where uh, you know American Idol is is on TV and you have you know nine nine out of ten kids want to be pop stars back back when we growing up you know not everybody wanted to be you know all my friends when I when I joined bands and I wanted to be a you know I wanted to be in a rock band that wasn't the norm you know um, you'd find that you find that other kid who was playing bass in his bedroom, um, and uh, you find the kids who, who dug the same bands you were. It was few and far between back then. So then you find that little community. You know, I played with I played with a bunch of you know started in my started in my basement with a couple local kids meeting someone else. I met a guitar player on the street. Um, and that band broke up, and it was like 1979 where I actually met Paul Geary, 
who was the original drummer of uh, was the original drummer of Extreme, and me and him uh, went through a bunch of different bands, different players, and six years later, you know, I meet Nuno in a club um, at an after, you know, after the club, after, after show, I'm, I'm hanging out with this kid who looks like Joe Perry to me, and we're talking about Queen and our favorite records, and, you know, six years later, and, and both our bands were breaking up at the time. So there's no, there's no set, you know, uh, you know, whether the stars align, but uh, then it was me, Paul, and me, Paul, and Nuno. A year later, Pat joins, and, and there's the lineup that, uh, you know, Pat, Pat completes the, it completes that lineup with Extreme, and, uh, you know, we're playing the clubs. At this point, I've been in bands for the last seven years, eight years in Boston, uh, playing clubs, shitty dives, and uh, this lineup, you know, this extreme lineup is the one that the magic happens. You know, me and Nuno start writing. We fill the void for each other um, as writers. And so, um, like I said, the stars align, and, and now we're starting to fill clubs. And so it, it never happens overnight. The overnight success is never overnight, you know. So, so you, you you felt the magic. Did you feel the magic in the writing? Like when when was there something when you and Nuno would sit down and write? Did you guys sit there? Did you feel a certain alliance? I can't think of the word. Uh, did you feel like something a camaraderie that when you wrote, you knew the shit was good? I mean, because you know people can write stuff that stinks, but when you sat down with him, did, you, did is that was that the missing piece? Did you sit there and go, man, this is what music is all about? Well, that's where I think we found our voices i think we did uh for us it was just me at that time it was me and him and we were like wow this is a great song or, um you know we thought every song was getting better so we were driven and of course we were on the boston scene we're playing clubs we played once a week twice a week rhode island new hampshire so now we're now we're a band who's playing a new song every time we're playing out so, you know, we didn't think we were, you know, we didn't think we were, <laughs> we didn't think we were Lennon and McCartney, but we did, we were, uh, we were excited about writing and, uh, and um, it was coming, most of it was coming easy, you know, because we were just like, if, 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 if we tripped up on a song, we just move on to the next. And for me, it was, and to this day, it was very difficult to keep up with Nuno. He was so prolific. Uh, still is. Um, he was just, you know, a kid. You know, I call him a kid. At that time, he was 18, 19. You know, uh, that's all he did. That's all he did was play his guitar. And that's why, that's why he was so good. He was that guy who put his 10,000 hours in. And, uh, you know, we'd play a show the next morning, you know, wake up. He wouldn't eat breakfast. He'd be down in my basement, you know, with the four track, right in the next riff. You know? Wow! So you're you're so. playing you're playing the Boston clubs, and and now at what point do people start recognizing you? What did do do labels come out? Because I know, like, I, I grew up near Philadelphia, and we there was the the Philadelphia stable of bands, you know, the Hooters, the A's, stuff like that. So people would go to yeah. see them. When did you guys start getting recognized? And 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 first of all, before that, how did you come up with the name of the band? 
Yeah, that, that, the name of the band evolved. I, I had a band called The Dream before that. Uh, long story short, there was a TV show called The Dream, um, but we had the copyright. They, um, they bought the name. Um, I, I was outvoted. I didn't want to change the name out of principle but i was outvoted we we got some money we made some demos and that band broke up but before it broke up you know we had a little bit of a following and the dream became extreme um not not spelt x d r e a m but we liked the connotation and then that lineup kind of lasted another year or something and uh, uh nuno came in and we just kept the name because we, there, was a, there was a little bit of a following uh, back then. And um, I forgot your other question, your original one. The original was, when did you guys start getting heat? Like when you know, you're playing the Boston club oh, right. scene. And, and you, you, I mean, I'm sure yeah. like anything, you want to go to the major leagues. When did you start getting the heat and, and, and who, sought, who sought you guys out? Right. Well, uh, first you got to, you know, we were lucky enough to be in Boston that had a local scene and an original scene. This was this was the heyday of the 80s, mid-80s. Um, we had radio stations that actually played original music. Um, it wasn't so formatted and tight and corporate where, you know, and the scene now is, you know, it, by the time Extreme got out in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, the scene changed. The original scene kind of died, and uh, the cover scene came up. Mm. So it was odd. By the time we got back, you know, uh, we we were again. I always use the term "stars aligned." We were we were fortunate. The band was band was talented. We worked hard and all that. But we also we also were in a scene where um, it encouraged live local music. Um, where the heat came, uh, we were filling we were filling clubs. Uh, Paul Geary, great drummer, but he's also uh, our unofficial manager at the time, who who kind of was soliciting. You know, he'd go out there. He's the one who booked the shows. He's the one who found the studios and uh, our you know our managers, and uh, he found this uh, down on the South Shore. These managers who. Who had uh, who had a studio where we did our demos? Who had connections to some people in New York, and uh, we started getting uh, we started making demos good enough to send out. Got some label label interest in uh, in L.A. A and M Records. I remember coming out to the Paradise Theater, and uh, we showcased for them, and they came up to the dressing room and said, "We want to make records with you." Uh, and that was it. That that started our relationship with A and M. Uh, we started recording in late '87 our first record. So now, now it's your first album was self-titled, I believe. Your, mm-hmm. your second yeah. album was, you know, it's its 20th anniversary. That did you think your second album was critically acclaimed? And and the video, everyone, everyone who's over forty knows that video. What what was that like making the video? And did you think that you know the album would be so successful, and then people would remember that song? I mean, what was that like for a, you guys? Were it was your second album? I mean, and and you 
blew up. What what is that like as a musician, and how do you handle that? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny looking in retrospect. You could say, "Man, here comes pornography." More than words uh, is a hit, and the the record the record now twenty five years later it's exploded, and we're and we're celebrating it and all that stuff. In real time, we put out pornography. We were nine months into that record. We're still playing the clubs. We put out a couple of videos like uh, Decadence Dance and Get the Funk Out. We were actually writing our third record. Um, you know, we did a few club tours, uh, but nothing huge. So we were going in just nine months into the record. We're, uh, we're getting ready for our third record. The label still supported us and they believed in us and we had... We had success with the first two. Um, now there's a radio station in Philadelphia who starts playing more than words. It starts getting numbers. It starts dominoing across the country. Uh, we're on a club tour, I think in I think in Europe or the UK or whatever. Uh, we come back to make the video. Um, we do a black and white video. Uh, that's unique amongst the MTV, uh, you know, power ballad. You know, I, even more than words, that uh, people call it the power ballad. It wasn't a power ballad. When I think of power ballads, I think of, you know, big harmony vocals and big drums at the end, the slow, you know, slow tempo power ballad. Here's more than words. It's, it's, to me, it's the anti-power ballad. It's, it's one guitar and two vocals. It's, it's the Everly Brothers. It's, you know just an acute acoustic ditty. So it was an anomaly in at that time. Um, MTV, the videos was fantastic um, uh, to the credit of uh, the producers. Uh, Jonathan and Val, they did some, they did some great, uh, great videos at that time. And um, I think the video struck a chord with people. Uh, More Than Words became bigger than the band. We followed up with Wholehearted, which is another acoustic thing. And um, we just hung on at that point. But we're talking nine months into a record. We couldn't find a tour. Now we're jumping on the Bon Jovi tour. Now we're jumping on the ZZ Top tour. And uh, it's funny, you know, we rode that wave and... Um, you know, the, the good and the bad was, you know, a lot of people thought we were an acoustic act because of the two acoustic-driven songs. But here we are going on these tours and we're playing our, our brand of, you know, funky rock and roll, get the funk out and stuff. So um, in the end, would we have, uh, you know, me talking to you, would we be celebrating our 25th anniversary of pornography if it wasn't for the success of, more than words, I don't know if we would be. It's still, a, we still feel it's a great record, and it was a great record, but would it have been as popular if More Than Words wasn't on that record? What is that like from you going, as you know, you said you were playing clubs. What is it like, especially as a lead singer, because I always compare lead singers to like a quarterback. You're probably a Patriots fan, you know, with Tom, like yeah. Tom, Tom Brady going in the field. You know, you are the catalyst. The guitarist can be Nuno, great. You know, your drummers are great, but... The bottom line is everyone associates, you know, the lead singer 
as the front man. What is it like when you sat there and went from playing clubs in Boston and in Rhode Island to all of a sudden, you know, opening for Bon Jovi and ZZ Top, playing big venues? How do you psychologically get yourself ready for that? Because it's a big difference from 80 people to 800 people to 25,000 people. And what what were some of the biggest crowds you played to when you were on tour with these bands? Yeah. I think the first experience of you know uh, of um, of the big leagues was I think it was 1989. I think our record just came out. Um, this was before More Than Words. So Aerosmith's coming into town. You know we're a local you know we're local Boston band. You know minimal success. We have an opportunity to play with Aerosmith in Maine. So that was our first experience of a big stage. And you know we're used to. Me and Nuno were used to bumping into each other because, you know, the stages are, you know, five feet four. wide. So, so now, now, you know, I remember we're walking into the, to the venue and we're going on stage doing sound check and we're seeing some of the, you know, some of the Aerosmith lyrics, some of the cheat sheets Tyler had. And I'm going, ah, okay, I see how, I see how he does it. Uh, you know, uh, so we're, we're on, we're on the stage and I remember playing that gig. And uh, we weren't ready for it, the, 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 how big the stage was. And, you know, here we are running around in clubs. It's a different, uh, it's a different ball game when you're, you know, when you're at Gillette Stadium. So that was our first, you know, grasp of the big leagues. But, but after that, you know, Extreme was lucky. We, we played clubs. Then the band got bigger. We played theaters. Then we got enough in Europe to play stadiums. With Brian, Brian Adams, we got on that tour. So we're playing stadium stages. So the band grew, and our performances grew. I think that's, I think that's why we, be, why we be, became uh, good performers. We had this, we had this pedigree. Uh, you know, we had this growing. We grew into it. Um, we grew into those stages. Uh, Freddie Mercury show. By the by, the time that happened, we we were playing not on a daily basis, but we did have experience on a bigger stage. So, uh, but it was a le- you know like anything, it's a learning curve. What is the feeling? If you could sum it up in a few words, what is the feeling? Being a singer, being on stage in front of you know, thousands of people and they're all basically eating out of your hand. What, how would you explain that feeling? I mean, is there, is there any words that can explain what that is like? The first word that comes to mind is heroin. (laughs) That's a joke. No, Uh, it's a drug. It's a, it's a, um, nothing like it. You know, it's, it's, it's what keeps you going up there again. Um, you know, playing those, playing those shows. I mean, funny, this band, this band goes into every show like that, though. Um, and we pride ourselves on that. A club stage, we play it like it's an arena. And if anyone ever saw Extreme throughout the years, they would, they would say that, they would say that because, um, you know, before we go on, it's that. And go, you know, put on your full metal jacket because you know somebody's going to get hurt up there. So we, 
you know, maybe we st- it's a good thing in a way. We still take it seriously, and we we do put out. We enjoy it. Um, it hurts more in the morning. You're older, <laughs> but uh, this band, uh, Extreme's always been driven by performance. We like, you know, we like making like making records, but uh, it's it's uh, it's like uh, like you said, you know, it's like putting on the uniform, like going out to Gillette. It's uh, that's what we strive to do, you know. So it is. It's a drug for us. It's certainly. It's certainly a drug for me. Now, now, how did the whole uh, when you sang at the Freddie Mercury tribute? How did you end up singing with Queen? I know. How the hell did that happen? Because that's just uh, that's just so cool. I mean, like, it's like it's like because we all grew up listening to Queen, you know, and they were all they were they were different. How did you guys yeah. get on the bill? And and how did I mean? A, they, you got to sing with them. That must first of all must have been a, as my mom would say, a feather in your cap. But how did that happen? Well, it was all, it's all downhill from there, because that was the pinnacle. That, that day was probably the greatest day in extreme in our collective history. Um, you know, it's funny, more than words, the success of that in the 90s, um, we went over to, you know, we're touring the UK and Europe. Um, at that point, we met, you know, we met some of our heroes. You know, Brian was one of our heroes. So I remember Nuno was asked to do a guitar legends thing out in uh, in Spain in 1990. That's where he met he met Brian and uh, and um, I think they only had one singer out there, Paul Rogers. And Nuno, you know, I guess those guys were looking for singers, and, and Nuno goes, "I got a singer, you know, I got a singer who can, you know, who do some Queen." And I got the call, so I'm out there. Me and Nuno were out there, and we got to meet Brian. We got to be friends. Extreme is touring. We invite him on stage. You know, I mean, we're we're these kids, you know, worshiping at the altar of Queen. So at that point, we were friends with Brian, and uh, we went out to dinner. And of course, the tragedy with Freddie when that happened. Um, we were we were out there. And Brian just says, you know, next year we're going to have the biggest show to celebrate Freddie's life, and we want you to be a part of it. And we were like, at that point it was just a concept. And we're like, of course, of course. And then a few months later, they're putting the show together, and, uh, you know, the, the bands at the time, the Def Leppard, Extreme, Guns N' Roses, you know, we hit at the right time. We had we had success. Um so we were one of the names that was was brought up, and of course we were we were friends with with the Queen guys. Um, so we got the invitation, and then when we got there, Brian goes, "You want to do you want to do a song with the band?" I'm looking at him like, "Well, let me check my schedule." <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, so it's funny he asked me to do a. It was either Hammer to Fall or One Vision. And it ended up being Hammer to Fall, which is great. Love both, both the songs. So, um, yeah, that was, that was still, uh, it was uh, still, when I think of it, it's pretty, uh, pretty much a highlight for sure. 
Now, was I nervous? Of course I was. Oh, yeah, I, was well, I was singing with my favorite. I was singing with my favorite band. Yeah, you're singing uh, with Queen. I mean, it's like it's like it, it, it's not like you know singing. With, it's Queen. They're huge. I mean, and and it's funny because you know, and and you're you're singing a song that a bigger than life legend sang. So it must have been just. I mean, you must have been nervous, but you pulled it off. Thanks, thank God, because if I didn't, then it would have been an embarrassment in front of the biggest audience. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, extreme, but, you know, when we met, when we met Brian, and uh, he knew it. I mean, if you, if you listen to extreme, you know, Queens all over it, our influences, you know, one of our biggest influences, Queen, Harmonies, and, and uh, um, even even when we put our medley together, we knew exactly what we were going to do when we were asked. Um, you know, we were supposed to do our songs, and uh, it wasn't even a thought. We, we thought a live aid. You know, we pulled out all the CDs, we put together the medley, and uh, we knew exactly what we were going to do. So, um, and we, you know, we were just students. We were we were fans, but you know, we were students of the history of, of Queen. So. Uh, you know, it was a no-brainer for us. You know. Now, now, when the when the video of More Than Words was out, how did that change your life? Because you know, back I mean, I remember when MTV first aired. I, I lived in, right near Philadelphia, in New Jersey. There was a cable station. I remember, you know, Video Killed the Radio Star. Years later, I was drinking beers with Jeff Downs, and I couldn't believe that I was sitting there with the guy who was in the first video. Videos, everyone watched them. We waited for videos. We waited for video premieres. Sure. How did that change your life? And did people start recognizing you because of the video? Because everybody watched MTV. Oh, yeah. MTV would, you know, that was it. That was the town square. That was, everyone went there. And so if you were fortunate enough to have a, a video in rotation, let alone, you know, major rotation, like more than words, um, we were in Europe. It went. I think it went. Uh, I think it went to number one when we were in Europe, and uh, uh, we were playing clubs, clubs, and uh, some some theaters. But uh, when we came home, you know, we were away from it when it exploded in that summer. When we came home, it's funny. We got on the David Lee Roth Cinderella tour, and usually when you're the third band on the tour, there's a handful of people come to a shed and see you. But we were, we were the, we were the first band out of three, and the, these, these um, sheds were, were filled up, and we were, you know, because of the success of More Than Words, I think we, we got our platinum in Boston. We would, we were presented our platinum record in Boston that summer in '91. Um, but I think you, it's funny. Some of the first recollections is you know you're in McDonald's and. Someone has a double take, and they're looking at you, and they recognize you, and they say, "What are you doing here?" You know, you know what are you doing here? You're famous. You're on MTV. You're eating a hamburger. <laughs> why? Why else would I be here? And right. So it's funny. But that, that was the beginning of you know the band getting attention outside of the, outside of our you know local local scene. Um, I still, it's funny, you, get, you know, I go to Starbucks, I still get the double take. They might not recognize, they might recognize the nose, but they'll go, you look like someone I know. I, go, I got a twin brother. That's, Maybe you met him. 
<laughs> so, so you guys are a popularity, and now, like a lot of the bands back then, the uh, grunge, excuse me, <clears throat> changed everything. What happened with your band, and what, did you feel that your popularity was dwindling, and, 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 and then what happened, and how did you start to go out on your own? Yeah, it's funny, you know, the, the, the 90s, the early 90s, you got, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana blowing up, and it kind of, it kind of put everything that predated that into a category, you know, whether you call it hair, hair metal or whatever. And so, you know, it just, radio changed. Out with the old and with the new. But with Extreme, it's, it's funny, we were almost insulated from that because we kind of left, we didn't leave America, but we went off to Europe and we put out our third record. And we were still, we were, we were playing theaters, we were playing arenas. So, uh, and then we started, you know, we, we hit South America. So we were playing markets outside of America. So, you know, record sales, of course, went down and we, we never sold as many as we sold with Porno Graffiti. And our follow-up record, Three Sides, um, uh, was considered a disappointment. But for us, it was a better record. And again, we were insulated. We were playing places, so it didn't. It, we didn't feel like our popularity was was dwindling. Um, so, but you know, we knew what was happening. We knew what was happening, and and uh, you know, we weren't getting the calls or. Or MTV wasn't paying attention to our videos. That that was that was obvious. But but like for us, our strength was always performance. And and I, I guess to this day, you know, we're still. I mean, 2012, first time we played China, first time we played Russia. So for us, you know, we invested in in what the band always was. Uh, a live performance. So um, that's what kept us alive. Uh, did it affect us? Yeah. You know, would we have, you know, would we have loved that, M you know, that MTV would play our later videos? Um, it, you know, bothered us at the moment. But again, you know, um, you have, you know, you can only control the things you have control of. Those are things that we we never had control of in the first place. I mean, we didn't we didn't force them to play more than words. It just happened, and so so uh, you know, and extreme extremes has always been uh, insulated. Anyways, we we just we didn't care. We just um, we we just. Um, wrote the things we wrote and played. That's what we did. We're still doing it. So <clears throat> you guys had this success. And then, you know, as I said, the, the music scene changed. And then, now, now, how did you end up with Van Halen? Which, you know, and as a singer, you know, you, you if, if I sang, I would think, you know, who are two great front men? Well, yeah, Freddie Mercury, you got to sing with Queen. And David Lee Roth. Yeah. How how now how did that happen? And and what is that like as you know, a guy whose band is very successful, but you're you're walking into a legendary band. How did all that happen? 
Yeah, that's funny. How did that happen? <laughs> uh, um, again, it's not, it's the whole scenario was never scripted. Um, you know, it was 95, 96. Extreme puts out their fourth record. Nuno's starting to write some solo stuff, wanted to express himself that way. I remember that summer in 96, um, wanting, yeah, it was late 95, 96. Um, you know, Nuno wanted to leave the band and I wanted to keep the band together. And, you know, let's take it, let's take a year off. Let's do our Kiss solo record, you know, or keep the band together. But Nuno felt, you know, he wanted to move on, which is great. And, and, um, during that summer, I remember there was this commercial on MTV where there was a welcome back Cotter team and they were, and there was rumors of, rumors of David Lee Roth coming back to Van Halen. I remember Pat calling me up and we were laughing about the video. I know, laughing about the commercial of that. I don't know if you remember, but there was this welcome back, the welcome back Cotter theme and the, you know, the rumor was, Dave was joining the band, and Pat was excited. You know, that was his favorite band, VH, and we were talking about it. I think a week later, my manager, who was managing Van Halen, calls me up and says, hey, you want to audition for VH? And I go, okay, that's funny. <laughs> uh, what's going on? And he goes, no, I'm serious. Uh, you know, I can, I can call and get you an audition. I go, all right, all right. I got nothing doing this week. I'm not doing anything this week. Uh, so uh, I remember um, I remember telling, you know, people around me, the band going, I'm going out to L.A. for the weekend. I'm going to go sing Jump, you know, and I'll have a few <laughs> war stories. I'll get to meet, I'll get to meet Eddie and everybody. It'll be, it'll be a great story, you know. Um, I went out that weekend. It was in the afternoon. Met him at 5150. It's funny, I met Michael Anthony years before that. He came out, said hello to me. I go, hey, man. He goes, I go, hey, man, I'm a little nervous here. Don't worry about it. Everybody's cool. Just come in and sing. And uh, Eddie and Alex came out. They shook my hand. Uh, you know, I, I had, I literally had my, you know, my, my suitcase in my hand. He goes, you want to sing? Eddie goes, you want to sing? I go, yeah, yeah. Can I, can I go take a piss? <laughs> uh, I go to the bathroom. Uh, I go into I go into the studio. I look at Michael and I go, "Help me out with the high notes." He goes, "Yeah, I got you. I got you." So we do a couple days stuff. I handle that, um, and then uh, then uh, uh, don't tell me what love can do. I'm like, "All right, this this is a bitch," you know, because the Sammy stuff was the challenge. Um, I mean, I love the day stuff, but vocally I knew I could handle the day stuff. So uh, I had a good day. I sang about six songs. Uh, we took a lunch break, and uh, we all got a bunch of burritos, and Eddie came to me and goes, hey, man, we want to write a song. We ended up writing the first song on, on VH3. It was Without You. So we ended up pretty much writing that song that day. And... Uh, and and I was there for the weekend. I stayed in his guest, guest house. Uh, they were all great. Second day, we're out smoking a cigarette. Uh, he's smoking a cigarette. And uh, Eddie says, hey, you want to join the band? Um, 
how how do you react to that? I mean, like 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 how do you sit there and 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 as a normal human being, not piss yourself because it's like wow, hey, you want to join Ben Halen? That'd be like me, someone because hey, hey, Steve, you want to play running back for the Philadelphia Eagles? No, because I get my right. ass kicked. But how do you how do you react to that? I mean, what? How do you keep like a do you do, you do the the complete poker face? And how do you not show your excitement? I I got to tell you, I was I was stunned. I mean, you know, in retros in retrospect, you know, Eddie Eddie's a normal guy. Eddie was a normal guy, and once he got comfortable with you. Um, you know, we, we just, we hit it off. So when he said, I, 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 my, I, my reaction was, did the other guy know? Did you talk to the other? He goes, no, no, I haven't talked to anyone yet. He goes, but, he, you know, he, he had this vibe. He had this feeling. You know, we hit it off. We started writing. Um, I didn't know how to react. And then when the weekend turned into a week and, uh, you know, some of them, some of my 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 family, my people call me going, What's going on? I go and I would call them and go, I don't know, but I go, I think I think I'm in the band. And because and, I couldn't I couldn't get my head around. Right. I couldn't get my head around. So, you know, yeah, they they asked me to be in the band and it and it was a work in progress and we we're writing and it took more than it took more than that day, hey, you joined the band. To me, reality set in and goes, okay, they like me, that's great, now i gotta, now I got to earn it. So we started writing. Looking back, looking back, I wish, I wish I joined, the, I wish I toured with the band before we made the record, because I would have felt a little bit more comfortable. Um, so I think there's some, there's some great songs on the record, you know, in retrospect, I think, the record fell a little short, and if we toured, I would have felt more comfortable in the band than we would have came back. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, I was trying to call him. Um, so, you know, that, that three years in VH was a whirlwind, you know, they treated me great. There was always a part of me that knew it was not going to last. Why? Um, Why is that? Why did you think that? In the in the back of, again, you know, when I joined the band, not that there was not that there was a back, you know, uh, not that there was like a backlash against me. It was the hope of Dave joining the band. You know, I came right in when they put out a greatest hits. I think Dave sang a couple songs. Sammy was in the band for twelve years or whatever. And, you know, being a Van Halen fan or original Dave fan, you know, had to, you had these fans that have been waiting a decade for the man to come back in the band. And here comes this guy from Extreme who sings more than words, you know, doesn't put me in a good light. So I knew in the back of my head that Dave was coming back. I didn't know he was going to come back. A year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. But uh, that was always in the back of my head. And, but my experience with VH was, was awesome. The tour was great. Uh, Eddie was on fire. It, it, was, uh, it, it, was, 
it was funny because I'd, I'd have meet and greets with these with these fans, and most of them most of them were you know genuine and, and gracious. But they'd all you know they look at me and go, you know you know what fucking band you're in, you know you're lucky, you know you. I go yeah, <laughs> I go I know. So I'd always be reminded every day. I mean these people, these fans, you know you got people who like what we were talking about at the beginning of the, of the interview, there's musicians that picked up a guitar or picked up a drumstick because of these guys. You know, I, I was, I knew I was in the presence of the legends. Um, I, I, all I'd have to do is look around me on stage. I mean, this is, this, these guys were posters on my wall. <laughs> you know, so it was a trip. But as far as being in the band, those guys, uh, they treated me, uh, they treated me great, so it wasn't hard to be in the band. You know? Now, when you end up leaving the band, where are you mentally for the fact that you know you've had huge success with Extreme? You just played with a rock and roll Hall of Fame band. Where where do you go from there in in your creative process? I mean, you you've hit. Big milestones. You know, you've, you've been a success. You've had a huge hit. You've played with your own band that was huge, and then a huge, huge band. Where do you go? And then because you weren't that old. I mean, what? Where? Where mentally right. are you? Right. Well, it was around two thousand one. Um, there was two things I knew. Of, you know, extreme was always in the back of my mind. Um, I was still in touch with the extreme guys. We never fought. I always, you know, watched and listened to Nuno's solo stuff. And, you know, he was up, him and Pat, when they'd, they'd come out to L.A., they'd go up to 5150. So, you know, we were friends. So I knew extreme was in my back pocket. I just didn't know when. And uh, Nuno was still, you know, doing his solo stuff. And so 2001, the one thing I knew, because of what you just said, the one thing I knew I didn't want to do was put together a three-piece rock band. I, I was in extreme for 10-plus years. With that success, I joined, you know, arguably the greatest three-piece rock band there is, <laughs> you know, VH. What am I going to do? Put together a three-piece rock band and, and what? you know, overshadow that history, that ain't going to happen. So, so artistically, I, 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 uh, I put together the Tribe of Judah project, which, you know, incorporated some hard rock, but incorporated some uh, industrial and some electronica. And I kind of uh, played with my voice as far as treating it like an instrument rather than just a lead vocal. So um, it was an experiment. Artistically, it was a great move for me because I could, distance myself from that, uh, from that history. And, uh, and, uh, you know, proud of that record. I had lots of things I wanted to say. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's for, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, successful monetarily or anything, but artistically it was, for me, it was what I needed to do to get my, uh, head, you know, to clear my head of, you know, for the dust to settle from, uh, you know, that whirlwind that I was in in the late 90s. So, uh, so that's, 
and that got me, you know, that eventually got me back to extreme and, and, uh, you know, in the interim, uh, of my, my mistress band with my brother, Mark, it's, uh, you know, I'm more, I am most comfortable with, um, being in a, being in a rock band. So, uh, that's where I'm at now with extreme and, and hurt smile. Now, now, have you stayed in Boston, the the Massachusetts area, the whole time, or did you ever live in LA? Or I mean, because you know most rock stars, you know, you know, you don't hear them living in in Massachusetts. They usually live out here. I love that dirty water, the East Coast. Uh, I was in a uh, when I was when I was in VH. I lived in LA, I don't know, about three four years. But uh, I came back here. Uh, it's just comfort, you know, East Coast uh, family. Uh, keeps you know, just keeps me grounded. You know, pretty pretty private, pretty private person. Uh, but uh, I don't know what keeps keeps me coming back here. It certainly ain't the winters. I know, God, you guys got. I was saying, you know, it's funny because I was bi coastal for two years before my girlfriend moved out here, and uh, Philadelphia area didn't get hit. But I remember Boston. You guys keep getting your ass just kicked in the winter. Oh. I'm like, oh my God, like like there was like. By December fifteenth, there was more snow in one year than Boston than they've ever had in the whole winter season. Oh man, I think it was two summers ago. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was looking for land in Florida or LA because it was <laughs> killing me. No, it was killing me. Now, 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 what do you do these days? I mean, are you are you do you constantly write or where what where's your creative process now? Are you are you still I mean, you've been a you've been a good writer through your whole career. You've always penned hits. Do you do you wake up and write? I mean, what do you what do you do? What does a rock star do like on an off day? On an off day, I don't know. It, it, it depends on, you know, what role you're playing a singer or a writer, you know. I'm, I end up always being in my in my head, so there's always a song. There's always a song in my head, but uh, right now, focused on uh, focused on extreme. Um, we just finished up the Japanese uh, South Korean tour. Um, it wasn't. We didn't do pornography there, but um, we um, we just finished that up and focusing on the end of the year is, is new music. Uh, we owe it to the extreme fans uh, to put out. Some new music, uh, no excuses. So uh, before we, you know, before we go out again next year, uh, that's the plan to have new music. Now, has, has, has your songwriting changed over the years? It changes with the people I write, you know. Um, um, and over the years, it's, it's funny. Uh, but with me and Nuno, you know, we know each other. So well, you know, sometimes it's, it's the riff before before the words. Sometimes I'll send him lyrics before the music. Um, and as we've grown, as we as we've written songs separately as well, you know. Uh, so he's a great writer, he's a great lyricist. Um, so uh, it's just going through all the material and finding out and. And what's best? What's best for extreme? But there's a lot of material uh, that we have, and uh, just got to make sure 
because records are few and far between, um, that we put our best shit out there. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, this has been, this has been good. I'm, I'm glad I got to talk to you. It's funny. It, it, I, I woke up early. I, actually, I woke up at 6 a.m. I was like, oh, my God, I got I to, he's going to call me. And I got crazy. Uh, now, now, now are, are you, are you uh, involved on social media a lot? And, and if so, what is your Twitter and do you tweet a lot? I don't tweet a lot. I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm the anti. So that's Nuno's Nuno and Pat. They do that. Um, I probably would have to do it if they didn't do it, but because they do it and they do it better than I can. Um, you know, Nuno's got the Facebook and the Instagram and and the, I think he, I don't even think he tweets, but I, I tweet every once in a while. I think I'm um, G Chiron or something like that. Yeah, uh, it's okay, and it's. And it's it's few and it's few and far between. But you have a lot of uh, followers, so that's that's good. That's good. That's so good. so people follow, follow him. Just follow him. You know he's not going to tweet a lot, but follow him. Follow G Sharon. That's C H E R O N E. That's not a good. Uh, <laughs> it's all right though. Yeah, I tweet every day. I he tweets every, every day. I tweet every hour. Gary Sharon yeah. tweets every damn day, people. So follow him, and he'll tweet you. He'll tweet you personally. No, he won't. I'm lying. And follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, don't forget, uh, if you Instagram and Words with Friends, I'm Cooper Talk 1. I put a lot of uh, recipes and pictures up from uh, on Instagram. Remember, I have my health problem, which leads me to my next point. You go to the website, StopTheSalt.com. That's my cookbook. It's uh, 120 low-sodium recipes for one. And remember, I, I almost died five years ago, and I changed my diet wow. and low-sodium. And these recipes, there's no pictures. So guys, you know how you get intimidated by a picture in a cookbook? Don't worry. There's no pictures. There's no major ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. There's no cumin. I use cumin at home, but I didn't put it in recipes for you guys. So you go buy the book. You can go to Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. But if you get it at StopTheSalt.com, I will sign it for you and I'll make more money. And the problem is no one's buying it from that website. Everyone's buying it from damn Amazon, so I'm making no money on it. I've sold like 80 copies, people. Let's say I've sold like 85 copies of this damn cookbook. Anyway, do that. Uh, Twitter, as I said, uh, Cooper Talk. Follow me on uh, Twitter. And uh, don't forget my website, www.coopertalk.net. I have 560-plus episodes up there. You can email me, Cooper, coopertalk.net, and tell me what guests you want to hear because, you know, I've strived to get good guests for you guys. Hell, I got Gary Schroen from uh, Extreme. And you know what? And go look, watch that video because you have to watch the video. And that's about it. So, Gary, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, and I'm going to actually, I'm going to watch your video now. I'm going to post it on Facebook. I'm going to say, I just interviewed Gary Sharon. And it's good. And, I, and so and so now, now what are the Patriots? Are the Patriots going to win the Super Bowl this year? I think they are. I think they're better than they, they're better than last year, even though they didn't win last year. But uh, yeah, I think they're, they're in the... They're in the rankings. I gotta say that. Oh yeah, you, you know what? Brady's showing why. Uh, I know everyone else other than New England hates Brady and the Patriots, but uh, the guy can't be denied. I know. Go, go. Belichick is the best coach ever. And I say, people, you heard me say that, and I hate the Patriots because they beat my Eagles in the Super Bowl. But Bill Belichick is the best coach ever, and I bet you think that too. I do think that. I think they're going to change the name to the, uh, to the Belichick Trophy. See, that's the awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, people, uh, I just want to say, man, I'll check out. I'll check out the book. 
We should have talked about your, we should have talked a, about your diet. It's about you. I'll I talk to you. Going. We'll talk. Anyway, people, <laughs> go check out Extreme. Go check out Gary. And I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only a sip as my guest. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.